And so I think, without further ado, uh, I should probably announce to you our very special uh, guest judge, the man who put the fishnets in Halloween, Mr. Richard O'Brien! <laughs> Theatre Company and the London Horror Festival, welcome to Stage Fright. We're going to be showcasing three new plays tonight. They are in order of running, Intense by Gina Hill, uh, The Sacred Amethyst of May and Ma by Jeremy Fielding, and Muse by Lucy Bell. Um, they're not very long, they're about 10 minutes, 15 minutes each. And um, the players who'll be performing these, the, the, these pieces tonight um, ben Whitehead, Adam Hall, Sarah Whitehouse, and Anne Teato. So, welcome to Stage Fright. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, mm, well, what's going on? Oh, good. You're awake. Did you kick me? No. <laughs> Maybe. Sorry. I need to pee. But why do I get kicked? <laughs> because I'm too scared to go outside. Well, you can't go in here. Ooh. <laughs> I wasn't going to. Do you want me to come with you, hold your hand? Then you'd see me pee. And? There are standards, you know, even when camping. You're mental. It's about preserving my feminine mystique. <laughs> That's way past preserving, love. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm still not letting you see me on the loo, even if it is behind a bush. <sighs> OK, so you need to pee, but you're scared to go on your own, mm -hmm. and I can't come with you. Right. <laughs> Brings me back to my original question. Why the fuck did you kick me? <laughs> I need to pee and I'm scared. They can't really move, you know. How do you know? Because I'm a rational adult. And I'm not. Let's look at the evidence. You're a grown woman who is too scared to go outside and pee because the trees are going to... Sorry, I'm sketchy on this. What are they going to do? I don't know. They just look like they're reaching out for me with their evil twiggy hands and then... Arr. Arr. <laughs> well, of course it sounds silly if you do it like that. <laughs> Babe, go. Pee, OK? The trees are not going to get you. Anyway, you should be more scared about the madman in the woods. Hmm? He was whittling today <laughs> with a knife. <laughs> that must be difficult to do when you're playing a banjo. Oh, all right, I'm going, I'm going. 
Where's the torch? Here. Cheers. If I get eaten by a tree, I will come back and haunt you. so dark out here. Oh, there are no street lights. Oh, I don't like it at all. John? Yes? Can you keep talking to me, please? What about? Don't care. It was a really big knife, actually. Um, Not... Massive. Not massive. that. Nice things. Oh, God. Like what? Oh, all right, then sing. <sighs> 99 bottles of beer on the okay, wall. Okay. 99 bottles of beer. Off we go. Everything's really fine. Nothing's out here. It's Take all one down, safe. Pass it around. It's just your imagination. Beer on the wall. 98 bottles of beer. Oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. 98 it's so bottles dark. of beer. Take oh, come them on, down. Come on, pass it around. Was that? 98 bottles of beer on the wall. <laughs> just people up and run. People up and run. People up and run. That was quick. Oh, I'm not bloody staying out there, am I? You're insane. You know that, don't you? Completely barking. Totally irrational. Doesn't help. Still scared stuff of trees. Mm-hmm. Only at night, though. Oh, well, that's all right, then. Better? Getting there. Bollocks! What? Well, now I need a wee. <laughs> uh, it's been nice knowing you. Yeah, I'm not scared of the dark. <laughs> no, 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 no. Oh, fine. You know, there really is nothing to worry about out here. It's fine. It's all in your... <laughs> oh, oh, God, you complete <laughs> bastard! <laughs> oh. oh, I'm so... <laughs> it really, it really wasn't. You screamed like a girl. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I couldn't resist, I'm sorry. Oh, you could if you wanted, now get out! OK, OK, and, um, and Cathy? Yes? If you see a tree monster? Yes? Just ask him to leave. Oh, bugger off! <laughs> Go on, get out of here! Oh, bastard, you think you're so funny. you please stop messing around who's there john please it's it, it's not funny anymore please please stop i'm a tree monster <laughs> no, not funny it really sounds funny from here darling oh, oh. i hope the loony gets you you stinking all right, all right, i'm going i'm going for it again, you know. Moron. <sighs> and you're making tea as punishment for scaring me. Well, come in, then. You're letting all the warm air escape. 
Oh, you're not sulking, are you? Oh, you know I'm not really cross. John? John, what's wrong? Oh, for goodness sake, just come to bed and stop being such a baby. Oh, Jesus, what's that smell? Did you stand in something out there? John? Come on, say something. You're really starting to freak me out. Oh, where's the torch? Oh, hey! That hurts! Jesus, your hands are cold! Found it. Let me just... It was a dark, dark night. Mrs. McRickaby was clearing away the supper tray. I'd sent the other servants off to bed long ago, and my faithful housekeeper soon joined them. Can I be getting you anything else, sir? I know that will be all for the night, Mrs. M. Thank you for a delicious supper. Alfred's locked up. The doors are all bolted tight. It's going to be a rough night. Let's hope the chimney stays standing in this gale. Good night, sir. Good night indeed, Mrs. M. Hmm. This was the part of the evening I enjoyed most. Just Marmaduke and myself. <laughs> Alone by the fire, man and beast in perfect contentment. 
watching the dying embers of the night. I must have shut my eyes for a brief moment. Just a moment. But suddenly the hairs on the back of my neck prickled, and my senses brought me fully alert, my heart racing. Marmaduke had sensed it too. His head turned towards the window, staring at some invisible presence. His lip twitched as a low, guttural snarl emerged from deep inside him, as though from the very depths of hell itself. But there was nothing. Just the sounds of the storm disturbing what sounded like the very foundations of the house. The wind rattling the casements and howling down the chimney. I eased back into my chair. Although the unnerving false alarm had disturbed my repose too greatly to allow me to regain my former peace straight away, Marmaduke settled once more at my feet, and gradually, as the heat of the dying fire began to lull me to sleep, I felt a great tiredness overcome me. started from my chair as Marmaduke hurtled towards the door. Here, Marmaduke, leave it! As Marmaduke reached the door, he suddenly stopped dead in his tracks. He turned tail and scuttled beneath the desk, seeking refuge in the dark haven, but refuge from what? My habit is to receive no visitors. The house is remote. Set in a bleak and lonely wilderness on the edge of the moor, there are no thoroughfares or paths nearby, so who on earth would seek me out on such a wretched night as this? I consider myself a rational man. Cool of logic in this scientific age of enlightenment, but I have to admit, for a moment, a tremor of terror tickled down my spine as my hand reached out for the cold iron bolt. Sanctuary! Please! The stranger appeared half dead as he staggered over my threshold, his rain-drenched clothes bringing with him the cold, decaying stench of the moor. The rainwater coursed off them into great puddles on the flagstones. Come in! Come in! Please. I seek shelter from the storm. Here. Here, come by the fire. Warm yourself, my friend. That is one hell of a tempest to be out in tonight. Let me rekindle the flames. I'll fetch you a blanket. Take off those wet things. Thank you. You saved my life. I, I was lost on the moor. Uh, the night is black as hell. Not a star in the sky. I was about to give up all hope when I saw your light. What on earth were you doing out on the moor at this time of night? I'm a geologist. The stone tours here are of significant interest to amateur scientists such as myself. I, I was making some studies, but just as I discovered one monolith there on the, on the horizon were a dozen more. I must have strayed farther than I realized, for before I knew it, Darkness had descended. Indeed. Out here, darkness can indeed fall like a stone. And there I was, or rather, rather, I didn't know where I was. 
not able to see my own hand before my very face. Well, mm. we must thank God I stayed up with the light burning. For if you'd spent a night like this out on the moor in such a storm, it's unlikely you would have lived to see another dawn. I don't know how I can repay you. There's no need, I assure you. But please, I owe you my life. I don't have riches or wealth, but... It was at this point that the stranger hesitated, as if trying to decide something. As he did so, his hand reached to a thin leather pouch around his neck. Please, accept this as a token of my gratitude. Really? You owe me nothing? I insist! He lifted the pouch from round his neck and passed it to me. I opened the cord drawstring and tipped the contents into my palm. I was a little surprised to see the most unassuming lump of grey rock. Just like any stone you might find scattered around the hillside beyond my very door. Uh, really, th there's no need. Please, take it. It's all I have to repay you. But it does come at a price. His last enigmatic comment was spoken just as the storm reached its zenith, the thunder rolling around the moor like the demonic howl of Cerberus himself. I decided to humor him and received his gift with equanimity. Uh, thank you. It's an uh, unusual gift. The sacred amethyst of Myanmar, worshipped for thousands of years by the natives for its special powers. Really? <laughs> And what prey may they be? It is the guardian of the spirit of life. I can sense you're not a believer. Believer? I'm not sure what you're asking me to believe in. Place the stone in the fire. I'm sorry? Rest it in the embers, just for a moment. I continued the charade. By now, convinced the stranger who had crossed my threshold was a lunatic, perhaps escaped from the local asylum. <laughs> Very well. Like this? Like that. Now, close your eyes. The tale I tell you is true. As much a truth as the fact that I sit here at your hearth side now. I was stationed in the Burmese village of Mon Pan, where our army was suppressing the civil riots. A couple of men were chosen to stay in the area to keep an eye on things as the rest of the men moved onwards to the next village. I was one of those elected to stay behind. Now, at first, the villagers were hostile to our presence, but as time passed, they gradually accepted us and allowed us into their society. One afternoon, I'm patrolling the fringes of the jungle when I come across a young boy. One of the village's children, no more than six or seven. Frozen. Frozen there, on the spot. Not three feet away from him, a rattlesnake. 
an enormous rattlesnake, its head weaving back and forth in a hypnotic sway, the sinister rattle from its tail beating out a sickening alarm. I bid the child to stay still, but as he sees me approach, the prospect of a savior to free him from his predicament causes him to, to jump, terror to overwhelm him, and a piercing wail bursts from his lungs. I lash at the reptile with my sword stick, and I slice the creature's head clean off. But the head remains attached to the child's leg, the fangs deeply embedded in his soft, tender flesh. Now I sweep the child into my arms, and I run through the jungle as fast as the devil himself to the village. I cry for help as I come hurtling down the mountainside, alerting the villagers of my presence. Now as the undergrowth clears, I lay the child down in the soft grass at the forest edge and grasp the still-clinging snake's head, wrenching it from the child's body, tossing it at the feet of the gathering crowd. Now without stopping for a moment, I place my lips to the open wound, the clearly defined puncture marks, red and inflamed, and I suck all I'm worth. And the bitter venom leaks, leaks into my mouth. It's foul, fetid poison turning my stomach. After several attempts, I draw only blood. And now, an old native is busy administering some potion to the child's lips. Probably only takes a few seconds but it felt like hours before the child spluttered back to life. I collapse, unaware of the energy I have expended. To my surprise, a young female tribeswoman comes and kneels at my feet, her tears evident as she brushes my boots with her lips. It transpires, this is the child's mother. Later that night, the child's grandfather visited my campfire and presented me with a gift. The stone. Exactly. Now, he explained its significance in the flickering firelight, as indeed I am about to do to you. The stone is a talisman. An amulet, call it what you will, but it will protect you from death. Really? Uh, please, I beg of you! His appeal was in earnest, and its tone made me hold my tongue from further disbelief. The stone can be given, never sold. The holder, one day, who knows where or when, will find his life in great peril. But a stranger will protect him. And it is to this stranger, and only to this stranger, that the stone must be given. Thus, I was given the stone by the child's grandfather. Thus, I give the stone to you. The command in his voice was unswerving, and I found my arm stretching out without even realizing it. 
And there, as I lifted the charred cord from the glowing embers, hung a stone of such a glorious purple hue, the deepest lilac of velvet, glistening even in the dying firelight as it dangled there before my very eyes. My gift of life to you. Do not waste it. And heed what I say. Give it only to the stranger who saves your life. But ignore this command at your peril. The stranger settled himself in the chair by the hearth for the night. As the storm raged on, and in the encroaching darkness as the fire faded, I admit to being a little caught up in the stranger's tale. I made my way up to bed for a fitful night's sleep, but the bright sunshine of the next morning exposed my mind to what was no more than a lot of suspicious hokum. <laughs> Ah, Mrs. McRickaby, the smell of your delicious bacon has enticed me from my bed. Uh, but I guess you must have already met our unexpected visitor. Visitor? The uh, poor soul arrived on the doorstep late last night after you'd retired to bed. A weary traveler seeking shelter from the storm. I'm sorry, I don't know to what you refer. The stranger. I left him curled up in the chair by the fire, wrapped in a blanket. Sure. There was nobody here when I came down this morning, sir. Are you sure? Of course I'm sure. Why should I be so bold as to suggest you might have dreamt it? I mean, it was a very unsettled night. Just here. He was lying just here. Well, you can see for yourself, sir. Nobody there now. Not a trace remained of my nocturnal visitation. The blanket was dry, folded neatly on the back of the chair from whence it had come. The flagstones were bone dry. No sign of the dripping pools from the storm of the stranger's drenched clothes, which I had observed only hours before. Even Marmaduke was back in his old spot, curled up peacefully in the center of the hearth. It was as if... It had all been a dream, but... The stone! The stone, I cried, jumping from the breakfast table in a start. The stone, I had left it hanging from the mantel, its rich purple tint refracting shards of light around the room, and there, it was still there. But of course, in the cold light of day, I could see now, it was just like the thousands of stones lying inches from my front door. I tossed it carelessly into the drawer on the dresser. And persuaded Mrs. McRickaby and perhaps myself that it had indeed been nothing more than an overactive imagination, brought on by a late supper of a particularly ripe camembert. <laughs> I settled down to a hearty breakfast and tried to think no more of it. Well, dear listener, I must now advance my story some several years to bring the close of this tale. No doubt some of you, some of the more educated among you, will have already reached your own conclusions. I can hear you now thinking, oh, I know how this is going to end, or I foresee that X will follow Y and be hard on the heels of Z. Well, 
I'm afraid I shall have to disappoint you. You see, many moons later, I happened to be holidaying in the south of France, a couple of months on the Riviera prescribed by my doctor in an attempt to overthrow a, a persistent chest infection which had left me quite peevish. Part of my daily constitutional involved a brisk morning swim, and in the warm seas, salt air, and golden sunshine, I could feel the benefits with increasing returns. So every morning, before breakfast, I would swim from one side of the bay to the other, before returning to the hotel for a repast of grapefruit and porridge. But one morning, without any warning, I was executing my usual breaststroke when I felt a leaden dullness in my legs. Cramps enveloped my calves, and as they locked in spasm, I found my head starting to fall under the waves. Just as I found myself slipping beneath the surface, an arm gripped around my neck and wrenched me from my salty grave. I was exhausted and just allowed myself to be propelled back to the safety of the shore. As I regained my breath, I thanked my rescuer in a hoarse whisper. He checked to make sure that I was recovering and then slipped into a small crowd that had gathered on the sandy beach, and I never saw him again after that. And so now, I'm back at home. And what, I hear you ask, of the sacred amethyst of Myanmar? Well, I can assure you that here it still sits, in the same kitchen drawer where it was tossed so carelessly all those years ago. So does it really hold special powers? I was saved from the jaws of death, but I have not passed the stone on to my rescuer as commanded by the stranger on that dark, dark night. My gift of life to you. Do not waste it. And heed what I say. Give it only to the stranger that saves your life. Ignore this command at your peril. And so, it just goes to show that all this penchant for ghosts, curses, spectres, and other horrors, dear listener, is nothing more than smoke and mirrors. And the non-believer that sits before you here bids you good night, as he whiles away his twilight years, sitting at his fireside with his faithful dog at his feet. Here we sit in peace, dozing before the dying embers of the fire, while outside the storm continues to rage.
people with my job aren't supposed to have a heart. In the popularity stakes, we're somewhere between the taxman and traffic wardens. All we need is fluency in bureaucraties and resilience against compassion fatigue. My fix is a Nescafe, white, three Candarelle and a Mars bar, please. <laughs> but as it happens, I did have a heart. I felt it when it broke, dropped from the 22nd floor of Luther King House. Hello, caller, how can I help? You borrow that soundtrack from Guantanamo Bay. Eh? You're on hold music. There is a queue of calls, Mr... Smith. My wife's got a letter to say if she doesn't attend her next job seeker's review, her money's getting cut. Can I speak with Mrs Smith? She's sleeping. She's got glandular fever. Don't mind that, Daisy. It's just the smell of Daddy's turps. Don't wake your mum. The voice is gone, the works. She has missed two appointments, Mr Smith. But? In the case of incapacity, a doctor's note is required. Can I explain to your manager? I am the job centre supervisor, Mr Smith, and I can assure you that continued non-attendance without a general practitioner's certificate... Big Sue! I beg your pardon? Big Sue! Job centre supervisor, painted by the late Lucian Freud. It sold for £18 million. I see. But for those of us whose face is not our fortune, there is a queue of calls here, Mr Smith, and I must direct you to... Uh, no, no, she was no oil painting, Big Sue. Oh, she is now, of course. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, that was the point. Freud admired her solidity, all 30 stone of it. They appreciate solid women, artists. Solid women stop us from floating away. Are you an artist, Mr Smith? Piss artist, you're thinking. Not paid to judge, Mr Smith. Yeah, you do that for free. Mr Smith. Clicking down your little screen, looking at my photo, the two-year gap in my CV. Three-year. I work all the time, you know. All night and all day, too, if I don't have Daisy to care for. Doing... Painting. My wife lets me paint her while she rests if I help with Daisy. Leave Mum's spaghetti, Daisy. She might eat it when she wakes. And now I'm drawn into her squabbles with the social. We are separated, you know, but I need her on side till I finish my series. Downton Abbey box set. <laughs> series of paintings. Oh. The address for your wife to send the doctor's note. Fire away. The other thing is negative space, of course. What? The space around an object. Curvaceous nudes create the most fantastic negative space. That night, I ate my two-minute korma over the keyboard and googled Big Sue. <sighs> Later... As the steam cleared from the bathroom mirror, I didn't see my veiny hips lolling on the boulders of my thighs, or my arms drooping like withered balloons over my two small hands. I saw the blue wall behind me, 
as I moved my body through its block colour into half-moons, convex kite-shapes, squelchy fractals. If this was negative space, I was positive space, a great positive force moving like a tanker through a room, creating an appetite for the views it obscured. You should buy oh. the blue one. It will bring out the red in your hair. Mr. Smith, you made me jump. They are complementary colours. Thank you. For the doctor's letter. But I need another on letterhead. Say hello, Daisy. She's sensitive. I'm sorry your mum's so very poorly, Daisy. I hope she pulls through. We play sleeping lions. Do you? Mummy always wins. Go and get the ice cream, Daisy. And how is the series coming along? Show her, Daddy, on your phone. Oh, my God. They're amazing. I had no idea. What, that I have ability? That I do work? Go on, Daisy. Mink chop chip. You know your mum loves that. Look at your basket, Mr. Smith. Haze, Febreze. You put my housekeeping to shame. I suppose it surprises you that the great unwashed clean up? I didn't mean... The Terps and Cat Gut get quite overpowering in a one-bed council flat. I have to protect Daisy. If I've said something wrong, I... What are you playing at? Terrifying my daughter like that? Scaring Daisy half to death with talk of the illness? Aren't there rules about what you are supposed to disclose and to whom? What would your head office make of this? I didn't think. But pen pushers like you do think. You do think you can trample all over our sensitivities. I am not a pen pusher. I implement the rules with discretion and humanity. Go on, Daisy. Take it to the till. Yeah, you'll get your letterhead doctor's notice this week. Another bit of paper to move across your desk. He and his daughter left. I went to the toilet and cried. I've no idea why. But I bought the blue top. Job Centre Plus, Molly speaking. Can I have your national insurance number, please? I'm ringing to thank you. Is that...? It's Mr Smith. My wife's cheque came through today. Look, Daisy. Your mum ate all the angel delight you made her. You go out and let her sleep now, darling. Look, I know we hadn't dotted all the I's and crossed all the T's. It's my job to enforce the rules with discretion and humanity. I get very frustrated. You know, sometimes it, it just bubbles up. That's all right. Picasso, Matisse, Rembrandt, you know, they, they all have wealthy parents, you know. Your style reminded me of Rembrandt, in my uninformed opinion. <laughs> You think? I do. Painting isn't just a hobby, you know. I mean, painters, real painters, paint because to stop is to rot. But not all painters can afford to continue. I've scared you. Not at all. 
I just can't imagine what it feels like to have such passion. I try and balance it out with the responsibilities. I, I, did, I did three years on trolleys at Tesco's, you know. The ugliness of the retail park. There's not a single tertiary colour to be found in Tesco's. It was killing me. <laughs> it was killing my art. Daisy's sketchbook is good too, you know. I worry for her. She's a lovely girl. Why was Rembrandt allowed to focus on his work but not me? Just because I happen to live on the 22nd floor of Luther King House, how do I level the playing field? There are calls waiting, Mr Smith. Goodbye. Goodbye. Mrs. Smith is unable to answer... The calls are recorded. You were incriminating yourself. It's Molly from... Job Centre Plus. I'm on my mobile. How can I put this? There's not supposed to be any plus offered by the Job Centre. I don't understand. But I do. I do understand your passion. It's refreshing. I sing... I sang. Not Adele or anything. Same dress size. Prettier face. Oh. Mr Smith, sometimes the bits of paper I move across my desk give me paper cuts. They never heal, Mr Smith. Sometimes I feel like I'm rotting from the inside. Jenny Savile is on at the Whitechapel, Mr Smith. You know. Solid women. Would you take me? Explain how she does it. How it all works. I'm off on Mondays. We could go during the day when Daisy's at school. If it didn't disturb your work or Mrs Smith. I'm not sure. This won't affect Mrs Smith. She's green-lighted anyway. Oh, God, you, you mustn't think that. Oh, look, forget I rang. The light... <clears throat> the light's useless between ten and three anyway. Eleven o'clock, then. By the tube. I had to wear a blue dress, of course. But which one? How do you flaunt your negative space without showing your cards? It was bitter outside. Black ice on the roads. But as I touched up my gloss on the bus, there was sweat on my lip. I felt warm. I felt alive. I could remember my mum telling me, one day, a man will make you see yourself as you are. I just assumed she was lying. The bus shuddered to a stop and I checked my watch. Five minutes late. Perfect. I moved carefully down the stairs and out onto the street. Thank fuck yous are here! I've been calling every day for about two weeks now! Some of us on this floor have got kids, you know! Your call has been forwarded to the voicemail service. Is not available to take your call. At the tone, please record your message. When you have finished, you may hang up or press 1 to change your message. Mr Smith! 
I'm at the east exit. Not sure if that's the right one. Don't want to move to the other one in case I miss you. Send me a text. Mrs Smith? Can you open the door, please, Mrs Smith? Environmental health. Her husband's in there. I've seen him. He's putting his coat on through the glass. I've seen him. That poor little girl. Mr. Smith, you're a stalker again. <laughs> oh, joke. Uh, when you get here, I'll be by the taxi rank, getting buffeted. Now, normally I love a buffet, but... Oh, I'm rambling. Bye. There he is. He's going in the bedroom. <coughs> Christ! <coughs> oh, God! I'm getting cold. Maybe I'll go inside and wait for you there. I'll give it another 20 minutes. Hope it's nothing to do with your wife. You can't just come in here! You've got no rights! My daughter will be home for lunch! What's in these bags, Mr Smith? What do you think? Spaghetti, ice cream, yoghurt. You waste a lot of food, don't you, Mr Smith? And what's in there? I'm going home now. I didn't go inside. I wanted to save it. I wouldn't have been hurt if you'd just come out and said, you know? You only had to... Please don't disturb my paintings. Oh. My God! Stop it! Stop it! You're not allowed to wake her! How long's your mum been asleep, love? Three weeks. The switchboard was jammed with reporters that week. I called in sick. Paper cuts. It was the Argus got the scoop. The charge was preventing the decent and lawful burial of Mrs Smith. He had planned to collect her benefits, buy oil paint, level the playing field. Now the paintings will go for thousands at auction, of course. And all the papers were full of the little girl. Quotes from the neighbours, how it was the little girl they felt sorry for. But I don't feel sorry for Daisy, not really. You can't feel sorry for people in my line. I mean, where would that get me? If you go into the staff room, mine's a Nescafe white, please, and three Candarel. been difficult, I have to say. Uh, three plays. Um, two of them were fighting it out. Um, the first play, very nice, but linear. And, uh, and, and, and nice in its own right, but a linear storyline. And, uh, and, and where there's, whereas the, 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 the second and third play had um, a different texture in different places. 
I especially liked in the, in the second play um, the uh, the journey away to a new location. Um, I like going on location. Uh, and and uh, that was nice, um, introducing the story of, of the boy with the snake and, uh, and, and the texture in that was good. And, and it had a, it had a, a time-honoured feel to it, an almost historical kind of setting, uh, Edwardian kind of um, library kind of setting with a man in a, in a velvet suit and, you know, a smoking jacket. It was that, that kind of feeling. Uh, which could have actually acted against it, because one could say that 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 that, that wasn't you know you were, you were that's we were dealing with pastiche there perhaps, um, but I I think it was it was well written it was intelligently written, and uh, and and as I say I do like the uh, did like the the journey um, to other climbs. Uh, the third play is 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 very very interesting. Uh, because it brings horror into our present day and the real world, um, and the, we all know what it, how Kafka-esque it is, phoning any of these agencies. Um, you're put on hold for for hours, and you and you become you become resentful, and your temper starts to go, and you finally get through to somebody, and they say, "Just a moment." And, and, you have to, and you have to do it all again. And by the time you do finally get through to somebody, you, you start to lose your rag with them. And they put the phone down. And they say, we don't have to listen to this. And they're, you're, they're quite right. They, 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 so the horror, the horror in the real world is, 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 is kind of cool. It's, it, 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 and, and, and there's social statements to be made. I wasn't quite sure about Daisy's role. In, in the piece, um, how she she figured on a daily basis with the, the, her, her mother, her dead mother upstairs. I wasn't quite sure how that worked, but there was there was an awful lot going on in there that was that was terribly good. However, um, the this beautiful, <laughs> beautiful, <laughs> it's come on, uh, work with me here. Uh, <laughs> this is this to be treasured. Uh, it, it does. It, it does. It, do, it does go to to Jeremy's um, uh, um, play, the, the the amethysts of of Maya 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 Maya. That that is uh, well done. Congratulations. And if 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 the, if the three if the three writers will stay will stay in the auditorium at the at the end of the evening because the press want to talk to you. <laughs> Thank you, Jeremy. Well done. You do that now. <laughs> I'll tell you a bit about myself. I'm, I've, I've just turned 70, which is very nice. Um, I was born in 1942. Um, I, was, I was severely premature. I wasn't supposed to survive the night, actually, but thankfully my father was able to wrestle the pillow away from the doctor. 
well, I was a fighter, you see. Uh, two weeks old, I broke my mother's arm in three places. And uh, <laughs> when I was six and a half, I said to my big brother that I wanted to be a fairy princess when I grew up. Because you can never dream too early. <laughs> and then when I got to 13, I turned 13, I was a teenager the very year they invented the term teenager. Up until that time, teenagers were, they weren't. They were, they were either children or they were little grown-ups. And they invented the teenager, which was lovely because lots of people had gone to school and studied Freud and became, became um, social workers and probation officers. And they suddenly started to take an interest in the teenager. And we got a softer ride because we were troubled. <laughs> We were, I, was, I, was, I, was, I was a little tear away. I was a juvenile delinquent. But I came from a tough background. My father was an accountant. <laughs> so, and then when I was 13, I discovered rock and roll and, you know, never looked back. And so... I've tried to find the truth well I've even lied but all I know is down inside I'm bleeding and superheroes they come to feast to taste the flesh not yet deceased but all I know there's still the beast is Insects call the human race Lost in time and lost in space And meaning Really snapped an ankle then. Yeah. 
being a tranny. <laughs> you know, I've, I have to say that, you know, if I did see myself coming towards myself in the street, you know, I'd be more than a little wary. <laughs> I, uh, I know, I look like a cross between a, a kind of union between a, you know, an alien and a tortoise. <laughs> and the tortoise is winning. And, uh, and I don't want to know how that union took place, you know. <laughs> I'm hoping it was under laboratory conditions. <laughs> And I know tortoises don't have laboratories, so, you know, it's, <laughs> it's all a bit difficult. Someone came up to me the other day and said, are you a cross-dresser? I said, well, you know, only when I haven't got something pretty to put on. <laughs> uh, one last song, and I'll be out of your hair. It's astounding. <laughs> Time is fleeting. Madness takes its toll. But listen closely. 
Not very much longer I got to keep control I remember doing the time walk Drinking those moments when The blackness would hit me to jump to the left and then a step to the right oh, with your hands on your hips you bring your knees in tight but it's the pelvic thrust that really drives you in to say yeah 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 oh let's do the time walk again oh let's do the time walk again do 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 do